You're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review for Tuesday, April 5th, 2022. I'm Cuda Babcock. And I'm Ellie Shannon. And you're tuned in to KCSU Fort Collins. On today's show, Kira McKinley goes over campus news with updates on ASCSU Senate elections, including voting deadlines. Then, Ellie Shannon covers local news with details on an arrest from a stabbing incident in Fort Collins. Then, Coda Babcock goes over new updates in COVID-19 statistics and policies. Following that, we hear from former Governor Bill Ritter and Working Nation Editor-in-Chief Ramona Schindelheim about the new energy economy in Colorado. After that, Babcock goes over information on several mass shootings and gives details on the potential for Russia to be removed from the UN's Human Rights Council. After that, we hear highlights of the ASCSU speaker debates from last week, and Eliza Droder goes over details on CSU's athletics. To conclude today's show, I explain updates on technology with information on Elon Musk becoming the largest shareholder for Twitter. Let's move right into campus and local news. This is Kira McKinley reporting your campus news for Tuesday, April 4th. Robert Long and Elijah Sandoval are no longer running unopposed for the Associated Students of Colorado State University president and vice president race. According to Sierra Bettis of the Collegian, Sam Mosia and Hayden Deason have now entered the race as writing candidates for ASCSU president and vice president. Mosia is currently an ASCSU senator for the College of Agriculture Sciences. Deason is a senator for the Warner College of Natural Resources. Some issues Deason and Mosia want to bring attention to are environmental and social sustainability, along with mental health and health resources. Make sure to listen in on Thursday to hear more updates on ASCSU elections. The ASCSU Speaker of the Senate debate took place last Wednesday. This debate greatly revolved around what they called the toxic ASCSU culture, reported Noah Pasley of the Collegian. The three candidates greatly discussed how they could help people's voices and opinions to be heard in a respectful manner. ASCSU voting started Monday and will end Wednesday at 4 in the afternoon. All students can go to RamWeb and vote. Graduate students and graduating students can vote as well. In other news, Colorado State University, the city of Fort Collins, and Larimer County completed their largest bison transfer yet, according to Jeff Dug of the CSU Source. On March 23rd, 39 bison were transferred to Native American tribes in Oklahoma and Kansas. CSU assisted in reproductive technologies that went into this herd having genetics that reflected herds that had lived around and in Yellowstone National Parks. CSU also used methods to prevent disease in sperms and embryos, which can cause premature births and miscarriages. Thank you for listening to my CSU Campus News Updates. I'm Kira McKinley, and you're listening to 90.5 KCSU. Here is Ellie Shannon with your local news updates. This is Ellie Shannon with your local news. The National Weather Service has issued a warning for wind this week. Hurricane gust winds were predicted for today and some of this week, so make sure to listen to Coda Babcock's updates on weather later in the episode for more information. An aircraft that was reported missing on Sunday was located. At first, Larimer County rescue agencies were searching for a reported small crash of a single-engine airplane near Masonville. According to Eric Larson of the Coloradoan, A tweet from the Larimer County Sheriff's Office tweeted that a crash was reported by FAA Approach Control in Denver, but no crash remains had been found. At around 1 p.m. on Sunday, the plane's owner was reached via cell phone as he was touching down to land. 
The owner was safe and had just experienced communication issues causing the loss of contact with FAA in Denver. Police arrested a man they believed severely beat and stabbed a man behind a loading dock in North Fort Collins. According to Sadie Swanson of the Coloradoan, security guards found a man behind the loading dock at around 4 a.m. and police and medical crews arrived shortly after. Through interviews with people in the surrounding area, police were able to get a description of a man who had been seen arguing with the victim earlier that night. Investigators identified 21-year-old Andrew Fisher as a person of interest in the case in late March. After completing an interview with Fisher, he was arrested on charges of attempted murder and first and second degree assault on March 26, according to court records. One person was killed in Windsor on Saturday after a Jeep hit multiple pedestrians. Thirteen people were gathered for a memorial at an intersection for a motorcyclist who had died a year prior at the same location. One person, a 39-year-old female, died at the scene and two others were injured but refused medical treatment. Driver of the Jeep has been cooperative, and no charges or arrests have been made. Police are still investigating whether alcohol or drugs may have been involved in the crash. Thanks for listening to your campus and local news updates. I'm Ellie Shannon, and this is KCSU on 90.5 FM. We'll be right back. Hey, Molly, how's your Sunday going? Uh, I'm a little frightened, DJ Lone Star. Well, your Sundays don't have to be scary anymore. Tune in every Sunday from 7 to 9 p.m. for some genuine Southern comfort, high-energy music, and conversations you can't find anywhere else. What if I'm so scared? Then bless your heart. We're back on the Rocky Mountain Review. If you missed any part of campus and local news with Kira McKinley and Ellie Shannon, check out our podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts to listen back. I'm Kuta Babcock, and these are COVID-19 updates for Tuesday. Colorado State University reports over 8,100 COVID-19 cases among students, staff, and faculty. Five new cases were reported yesterday, with all of them being among students. CSU does not require masks on its Fort Collins campus, with the exception of specific facilities like the CSU Health Network. Larimer County reports a low level of community transmission, along with nearly 79,000 cases and over 480 deaths. The county's case rate is at just over 70 cases per 100,000 residents, and about 4% of tests administered for COVID-19 in the county in the past week came back positive. New COVID-19 hospital admissions in the county remain low, and under 1% of inpatient hospital beds are currently being used for COVID-19 patients. The state of Colorado reports over 1.3 million COVID-19 cases and over 13,000 deaths. 4.8 million people received testing in the state, which currently has a total of 61,000 hospitalizations. 
10.3 million total vaccine doses were administered in Colorado, and almost 4 million Coloradans are fully immunized against COVID-19. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention reports nearly 80 million COVID-19 cases nationally, with about 25,000 new cases each day. Across the country, nearly 980,000 people have died from COVID-19, with about 570 additional deaths each day. About 82% of the eligible U.S. population is at least partially vaccinated against COVID-19. I'm Koda Babcock, and that's all for Tuesday's COVID-19 update. Information from this segment comes from Colorado State University, Larimer County, the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment, and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. If you are a student, staff member, or faculty member at CSU, visit covid.colostate.edu to submit vaccine information and get the most recent information on COVID-19 at the university. Working Nation recently put together an analysis of green jobs in Colorado, providing information on the future of energy jobs and the shift out of conventional oil and gas. In their report, Green Jobs Now, Colorado, they focus on the potential for green energy jobs to fill a needed employment gap in Colorado. Today, we're joined by Working Nation Editor-in-Chief Ramona Schindelheim and former Colorado Governor Bill Ritter to discuss the implications of the green economy. Ramona, as the Editor-in-Chief of the publication, would you mind summarizing kind of the trends and the data collected for the Green Jobs Now report? Absolutely. Colorado is definitely by far much more progressive, I'm going to say, in the in the idea of green jobs. They've, uh, Governor Ritter and his predecessors and his followers were very much into the green energy technology, and they've been for a very long time. And so that really puts them ahead as of the rest of the country. There, there's 30,000 people working in the green sector right now in Colorado. That's directly and indirectly. And last year, there was about 12,000 new jobs posted for that. So that's a very large number. And I will also say nationwide, we expect from our reporting that there will be probably a 5.7% increase in the number of green jobs in the country. In Colorado, that's expected to be 10.3%. So that's, you know, that's a great, great amount of growth. All right. And then Working Nation boasts a lot of information on green jobs offered throughout the country, including jobs with specific education requirements and other with more labor specific requirements. So how do you think that this information really caters to states like Colorado, where labor and trade jobs are often equally respected and vital to the economy as those higher education requirement jobs? Well, if you read the report and you can read it at workingnation.com, you'll see that these jobs are not just specific to what you might think of as solar technician, solar uh, panel technician, or a wind turbine uh, repair person. These are jobs that can come in many different categories, including uh, construction. There's a lot of green construction going on. So you don't need a four-year degree for that. They're in construction as well. And I think we mentioned it in the report. There are apprenticeships where you learn a green component, you get a green certification. So you're working with the unions. So that skilled trade part of the job is there. But on the other side of it, you also have people who are engineers, who are water scientists, who have four-year degrees. And you know, there's a high demand for them too. So it you don't have to have a specific type of degree to get into. Uh, green jobs. So there's many pathways. This one is aimed at both of you. So many politicians and business-focused individuals really argue that conventional oil and gas companies provide a lot of jobs to Coloradans, especially in Weld County in northern Colorado. 
So how do you think that this report kind of changes that economic perspective that many people hold when it comes to embracing green energy jobs as the future? Yeah, I I am going to answer that. And and partly, I think Working Nation does such a great job of talking about a green economy and trying to dismiss some of what they call the red herrings, you know, like that's just a false choice. And so, yes, we have been a fossil fuel economy. We are, I think, the fifth or seventh largest oil and gas producing state in the country. So there's no doubt that there are jobs in that sector and that Weld County has a lot of those jobs because it's got, you know, big deposits. But, you know, that also has to take into account the fact that over time, we have become a leader in the green energy economy or the new energy economy, as I like to call it when I was governor and and my center at CSU is named for that. And there are all sorts of jobs that have come into that space. And we've seen growth. We saw, you know, in the pandemic, some backing off a little bit, but every sector did. And now we see the kind of growth that Ramona was talking about that Working Nation predicts for Colorado, that we're going to grow the green economy sector in Colorado faster than the entire economy uh, by some multiples. And that's a really important part of that. It doesn't mean that we'll stop producing oil and gas or that we have to stop producing oil and gas in order to have uh, a clean energy economy in Colorado. But what we do know is the, the major utilities in the state have an ambition to cut their emissions by 80 or 85% by 2030. Exile Energy, they're gonna, there's going to be a massive build out of different kinds of clean energy and renewable energy. And that's not going to come at the expense of oil and gas. It's not this, like, it's not going to destroy that sector, particularly with what's going on geopolitically with Russia and Ukraine. But at the end of the day, those jobs are going to endure. Those jobs are going to last because this is a transition into a different kind of energy economy that's lasting. I would love to add to that some of those people who are employed in or many of those people employed in those industries already already have the skills that they need to make that transition. And if they need any additional training, if there's technology out there that we all don't know yet, right? But if they need the training, there are opportunities for those. I think that's the important thing is you're not necessarily, you're not putting people out of work, you're giving them different different work. And in Coda, maybe another question on the table, instead of talking about oil and gas, because you know, it, it exists, it's likely going to grow with our increasing exports of LNG to uh, Europe, but coal is not. Uh, the coal industry uh, became non-economic compared to the low prices of renewables and the low prices of natural gas. And so there is an industry where we have seen a real tailing down. Now, first of all, far fewer people are employed in the coal industry than in the um, clean energy economy. Uh, But those people in coal-dependent communities are going to be looking for work. And there's a lot of ways for us to think about the possibility how, like Ramona just said, they would transition into uh, a clean energy economy. My center at CSU is working with Craig, Colorado, a coal-dependent community in Moffat County, and looking for ways that they can be part of this other energy economy, Tri-State, the biggest producer of um, electricity for rural co-ops, is has got the same kinds of ambitions to lower its emission. It's going to transition out of fossil fuels. It's going to transition in a big way towards renewables. And it's thinking, how can that coal-dependent community now become a center for something that's new and different, advanced, and is part of the clean energy economy? It's really exciting. 
And then Governor Ritter, a follow-up to that. How do you think that committing to green energy and using infrastructure bill dollars for it can really help those Coloradans in coal communities to find quality, high-paying jobs that are not going to cause significant health issues while also boosting the economy? Um, so there's there's a lot of open questions about what exactly the coal-dependent communities can look like in 10 years. There's a community in Wyoming where there, Bill Gates is building a, a sodium-cooled nuclear plant. So that that's going to be kind of a different thing for Kimmer, Wyoming, than being a coal-dependent community. But I think there are great possibilities in places like Route County and in, in Moffitt County, where there are coal-dependent communities, to actually be part of a clean energy economy. And, and we're pretty clear that there are health benefits when you start looking at communities that have been in proximity to coal-fired generation or even in proximity to coal mining. So if we can, if they can be part of a different energy economy, there's there's health benefits. Um, they are high-paying jobs. Those coal-dependent community jobs are pretty high-paying, you know, for the in the coal industry. But we also believe that we can sustain this economy over time and there won't be the kind of boom and bust cycle that you often get with fossil fuel economies. There, there are all sorts of benefits. And like you said, using infrastructure dollars that um, give you, you know, some wide latitude to try and work in coal-dependent communities to develop that is a really important part of the Biden bipartisan infrastructure bill. Ramona, going back to something you said earlier, what do you think is something that's really important to know about the skills needed for green energy jobs like solar installers and other trade-focused careers? I would first say that the demand for, you know, straight-up solar panel installers or wind turbine repair people is not actually as strong as the demand for people who have very good skills, who are good at data analytics or software development or construction. And those jobs are going to become greener. That That's the, I think, our big message here is that we all kind of just look at that guy, you know, atop the tower, you know, strapped on there as the wind turbine goes around or or putting in the panels. Those jobs exist and there people are going to be hired for them. So I would say the skills that you need are like high tech skills, uh, again, software development or construction. And a lot of construction has become high tech as well. It's hard to pin down like what kind of skills you need for a green job when more and more things are becoming green. That That is, the I think, the key message here. All right. And then moving back to Governor Ritter, as Colorado really continues to focus on this new economy, what is something that students and local communities in Fort Collins and in northern Colorado can really do to promote their community's focus on green energy? Well, I think the youthful voice in, in this whole conversation is perhaps the most important voice because, you know, there's a lot that people of my generation, I'm 65, uh, look back and say, you know, we caused a big part of this problem and did not get it fixed in time to we're seeing the first effects of climate change and and we really need to do all we can to mitigate it. We're going to have to adapt to it. But I think uh, when youth come to the table, when young people, when students that are in college at Fort Collins decide to go to a community event and express their people are listening to that because it really is sort of about your future. So getting involved and ensuring that communities are doing what they can 
to you know have all the levers in place. I talk about policy levers all the time. There are oftentimes things that the policymakers can do that inspire this economic transition into this clean energy economy or green energy economy. And so, so the student voice there is really important. We've seen sort of the impact of this one woman and, and she's one person and that's an example of one person. But I think that uh, really is a very good example of how willing people are to listen to the voice of youth. The other thing I would say, Koda, that I think is really important here is that um, there are communities across Colorado need to participate in these conversations. We have a lot of rural areas in Colorado, and some of those areas have you know, been not so friendly to the to the energy transition. I think we have a lot of students at CSU that come from those rural places and it would be great for them to go back there and say, you know, look around, one of the biggest economic development tools in Eastern Colorado and very rural areas has been the development of wind and wind power. It's both clean, but it also has made a real difference in the agricultural economy. And CSU students going back to places like Yuma or Lyman or um, Lamar or Julesburg and, and having that voice, I think will cause people to sit up and take notice perhaps differently than they would without the student's voice in the room. I wanted to ask a couple questions about the Center for the New Energy Economy here at Colorado State University. So what do you think are some of the real challenges that students face when interacting with the center in terms of feeling like they can make a real impact here at CSU, especially as much of CSU's sustainability work isn't necessarily focused on green jobs, but other initiatives? You know, a lot of people have different roles to play in this um transition economy and this energy transition that we're in the midst of. And I chose a fairly narrow lane working with policymakers at the state and federal level on the power sector. And now that's that's really morphed into working in the transportation sector and the building sector because they're all part of the same transition. But it's still about policy for us. So we're a pretty small team. We're pretty lean. And, and we do use CSU students who come in internships. We use people who are uh, getting their master's. We have postdocs who are getting their PhD. And um, then we hire people uh, after they finish those internships and have completed their degree. But um, that's that's what we do. We do policy. And so you really have to have a desire to pay attention to what's happening in the 50 states and at the federal level on the policy front in order to work with us and to enjoy working with us. We haven't done much with municipalities. We haven't done much with things like water or um, waste, landfills, those kinds of things. Other people are doing that. And, and CSU is this fantastic school to be working as the way we do on sustainability. But for us, we are a policy shop that looks at decision makers at the state level, governors, legislators, utility commissions, and some at the federal level, members of Congress and United States senators. And then how can students get involved with the center if they're interested? Uh, we have a website. So email the website, you know, that's the center for the new energy economy dot org. I think you can go on and look at that, uh, Google it. But it's also, you know, has a CSU address, uh, Wendy Hartzell is the administrative assistant for the whole group, wendy.hartzell at uh, colostate.edu. Uh, you can email her as well. If people want to send in a resume, we're always sort of looking for uh, interns from CSU to assist us in our work. And they've been invaluable, actually, in us being able to keep the wheels on the bus. 
All right. Do either of you have anything else to add about this report or about green energy in Colorado? I just I would just recommend that people have a broad mind and take a look at the report and you will see what we've been talking about, which is there are green opportunities in all industries now. And that's just going to keep growing, especially with uh, corporations having, you know, accountability. Their stockholders are saying, you know, we want to make sure you're you're taking care of the community and taking care of the environment, doing what you're doing. So there's that's a lot of pressure, which is really great. And it's creating more and more opportunity. Yeah, I would just say, you know, I'm always on a quest to learn. And in developing this relationship with Working Nation, one of the things I've learned is how much it's already here. It was an aspiration of mine when I was governor, but there were already probably a lot of green jobs that were in place that I hadn't thought about. And, you know, the 11 years I've been at CSU, I've seen the green economy, the clean economy in Colorado grow and grow and grow. And so there's so much already in place, so much potential for it to get even bigger. But people shouldn't think that this is some new thing for us in the state of Colorado. We've already done pretty good job of putting in place this clean economy. And I I really thank Working Nation for pointing it out the way they do in their report. So thank you, Cordo. Thank you so much for your time. And if any listeners are interested in finding out more about the center or Working Nation, that website will be workingnation.com. And then to learn more about the Center for a New Energy Economy, you can go to cnee.colostate.edu. We'll be right back. What's up? I'm DJ Mads. Tune in from 5 to 7 p.m. tonight to hear what theme I've got in store for you. And we're back on the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm Cutta Babcock for KCSU News, and you're listening to National News for Tuesday. U.S. Ambassador Linda Thomas-Greenfield called on the United Nations to revoke Russia's position in the U.N. Human Rights Council. Scott Detrow and Michelle Martin at National Public Radio report that the ambassador said during a press conference in Romania that Russian participation in the program is what she calls a farce, and based on their actions in Ukraine, they should not hold a position of authority. Thomas Greenfield was in Romania as part of her tour of Moldova and Romania, where she has visited refugee centers. Her remarks on Russia occurred at Gare de Nord train station in Bucharest, where many Ukrainians are entering the country. She told NPR that Russia, quote, has done everything they can do, in my view, to damage the international order, to compromise the UN values, compromise the Human Rights Council, end quote. The issue is expected to be brought before the Security Council tomorrow, and the General Assembly may weigh in as soon as Thursday. Sacramento police arrested a 26-year-old man in connection with a mass shooting. Six people were killed early Sunday morning, with 12 other victims being injured, according to Adam Beam and Kathleen Ronane at the Associated Press. 
Four of the wounded victims faced critical injuries based on police information. Police arrested Dondre Martin on charges of assault with a deadly weapon and carrying a loaded gun as a convicted felon. Martin left prison in 2020 after probation violations, with his original crimes including a felony charge for aggravated assault. The shooting was the most deadly massacre in the city's history. In their search for a suspect, witnesses offered over 100 videos and photos from the shooting to police. As a result of footage, police are looking into making additional arrests related to the shooting. California has some of the strictest gun laws in the U.S., and state legislators plan to propose new legislation to avoid another mass shooting in the state. One law focuses on suing gun distributors selling unregistered weapons to California residents, as this violates local law for weapon registration. Two mass shootings in the last five weeks in Sacramento involved suspects who were not legally able to own firearms, with the last being a father who killed his children despite a restraining order against him declaring he could not own firearms. Jury selection started this week for the shooter responsible for 17 deaths at a Parkland, Florida high school in 2018. Reuters reports that Nicholas Cruz pleaded guilty in late 2021 for one of the deadliest school shootings in history after killing 14 students and three staff members. Cruz faces the death penalty, but the jury decision must be unanimous for him to be executed. If the jury does not unanimously decide on his execution, Cruz will face life in prison with no opportunity for parole. The defense is expected to bring up Cruz's mental health issues, along with brain damage he experienced as a result of his mother's drug and alcohol use while she was pregnant with him. Additionally, they are expected to include details on Cruz being sexually abused and bullied. Cruz was no longer a student at Stoneman Douglas High School at the time of the shooting, but was expelled from the school previously. He was 18 when he purchased the weapon used to kill members of the Stoneman Douglas High School community, leading to the organization March for Our Lives being founded. The organization advocates for increased gun laws, including a higher age requirement to purchase weapons. Medicare announced that enrollees are now eligible for free over-the-counter COVID-19 test access. CBS News reports that Medicare expanded access to free rapid testing for their patients due to concerns that COVID-19 cases may rise with the newest variant. Over 59 million Medicare Part B users will be able to access up to eight free home tests per month, allowing for one individual to test twice a week. This program is the first time Medicare has covered any over-the-counter test option without requiring a copay. Medicare serves people with disabilities and older Americans in accessing affordable health care, but the health plan has struggled to catch up with private insurers in covering at-home tests to prevent COVID-19 transmission. The new COVID-19 variant, BA2 Omicron, makes up over half of total cases in the country. Albertsons, Costco, Kroger, Walgreens, and Walmart are among the companies participating in this Medicare program. That's all for National News. I'm Coda Babcock for KCSU Fort Collins, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review. Now, we're going to hear some highlights from CTV 11's broadcast of the ASCSU speaker debate. The full debate was two hours in length and can be watched on youtube.com by searching CTV 11 ASCSU speaker debate. The link will also be featured on our web post for today's episode at kcsufm.com news. My name is Ren Wadsworth, and I'll be your moderator for tonight's 2022-2023 debate for the next speaker of the Senate for the Associated Students of Colorado State University. Additionally, CTV does not endorse any specific candidate, but seeks to provide fair and equal coverage of all candidates. And with that, we'll begin the introductions. Let's start with candidate Riddick Correa. I use the he series of pronouns and my whole campaign is based on vision, action and results. I have a certain vision that being every student voice represented, every student being associated with the Associated Students of Colorado State University, ASCSU. I have an action plan that I wish to implement to make sure every voice is heard, every opinion is shared 
and I want to bring out results, which is why I say vision, action, and results. Moving on to candidate Evan Welch. My pronouns are he and his, and I'm a senator for the College of Liberal Arts and also the chair of University Affairs, and I'm also running for Speaker of the Senate. So my three words, transparency, community, and communication, I believe that those three things are truly the best way for a speaker to do their job, which is to facilitate the Senate meetings. So with those three things, will help strengthen ASCSU, make sure the Senate goes well, because I'll be transparent about what's going on. I'm going to try to build a very good community within ASCSU with the senators by working with each one and also building a good community with outside of Senate. And with communication, I will be communicating everything. As speaker, I will respond to every single email within three business days, and I'll be doing other things to communicate. And candidate Nick DeSalvo. Hi, everyone. My name is Nick DeSalvo. A little bit of background on me. Uh, at 17 years old, I ran uh, for office in a local election and became the youngest person in Colorado history to ever be on a ballot. Currently, I serve on, on BSOF, the Board of Student Organization Funding for ASCSU, uh, and I'm not in the Senate. Uh, I'm running on the platform of accountability, leadership, and active listening. And I'm really running to restructure the environment in the Senate. There are a lot of senators who have left over the course of the past two semesters. And uh, I think that's evidenced by the toxic environment that exists within the Senate chambers. And I want to restructure the culture. I'm an outsider and I'm willing to put the work in. All right. We're going to move on to some general questions for all the candidates. And this will again be for all candidates. Can you please give us an example of an issue on campus that you hope to solve during your time as speaker? And we'll begin with candidate DeSalvo. Uh, one, one of the issues that I kind of want to spearhead is accessibility on campus. From what I've heard is that it's difficult for uh, disabled students to really have access to everything the university offers. My grandmother was a double amputee for the last 20 years of her life, and I went with her to a lot of places. And I knew that anywhere that wasn't handicap accessible, she could not go. Every student here at CSU should have access to everything that CSU offers. And so we have to make sure that everything here is not only up to ADA requirements, but goes beyond the threshold to include everyone because they're in our family. Same question to you, Candidate Welch. So the issue I want to spearhead is to improve the community between ACSU and CSU, because once that gets resolved and that's better, we'll be able to work on every single other product much better. As a speaker, I'm the one that's going to be helping senators work on accessibility and like maybe parking as well, U plus two, everything. So my goal will be to, it's going to be to improve the community of Senate. So the senators want to work on projects so that I can help them get these projects done. So I don't have any main product I want to spearhead, but I will suggest to many students about like parking, accessibility, Hughes lands back maybe, and other things like that. And the same question to you. Yes. So when it comes to things that I'd like to spearhead, it's not mainly what I want, it's what the students of this uh, university want. So I want to make sure I work as an effective liaison between students and those concerned to bring about those changes. Yes, I do have some of my own. I'm working on this project with Lyft to ensure that students that aren't financially well get access to and from the health center free ride using Lyft codes. I'm trying to get uh, the, the door numbers in buildings clock A, B, and C changed to make it more accessible for students. So all these small minor inconveniences that students face in their day-to-day -day life. And I'm also running my campaign based on this thing that, hey, I want your voice to be heard. Uh, Folks don't really know what ASCSU does and ASCSU does serve as a liaison between them and the Board of Governors and the President and I want their voices to be heard. So if they have 
an issue with campus, they have something that, hey, I can change this. They can come to me as speaker. I will ensure that I will bring their voices and represent their voices to the board of governors and the president. How do you amplify the student voice as speaker of the Senate? What I want to do is make ASCSU more accessible to students. Uh, most students don't know what ASCSU is or what ASCSU does. I remember when I was uh, sitting outside for a vote, a couple students passed by and they were like, hey, what's going on inside the ASCSU chambers? And I'm like, hey, that's your student body government. But they had no idea about it. So my goal is that if every student knows what ASCSU does and what ASCSU can do, they will come up to the gallery. They will come up to senators like, hey, that guy uh, is a senator. Uh, that person is a senator uh, for my college. That person represents me. Let me go talk to the person uh, in order for them to go and raise my voice in Senate. Or if not, they could also come up and show uh, show up during gallery input. Gallery input is a point, is a place where folks can come to the ASCSU chambers and speak their voice out, speak their opinions out. A lot of times we don't find students there. So I want students uh, to come up and represent themselves there. A question for you, DeSalvo. How do you view ASCSU's role in the student experience at CSU as a person who's not held a seat? Kind of the impression that, that I've gotten is, is, especially at the vote of confidence, there was uh, a little bit of, you know, hesitancy to allow me to run for this position because I'm outside of the Senate. That's an issue because if we want to say that ASCSU is for everyone, then it really should be open for everyone. And I think it comes down to engaging them and uh, making sure that their voices are heard and making sure that they know what's going on in the Senate chambers. Uh, when my friends went to support me at the vote of confidence, the gallery was full. And I would love to see that on, on a weekly basis as speaker. And so reaching out to those students, uh, letting them know what ASCSU is and what we do, I think that's important to uh, ensuring that the organization is thriving and being, uh, you know, watched and uh, held accountable. Thank you. How do you view ASCSU's role in the student experience at CSU? So I know that ASCSU, so we're truly the student's voice. So basically whatever the students want, like projects done, certain things to be done, like we are the voice for it. So with that, like I will helpfully work on people to get bills done and resolutions done. And if like there's a complaint to, voice, to Joyce McConnell or a approval to Joyce McConnell, when I get a meet with Joyce, the president Joyce McConnell, I will be bringing those things up and making sure the administration does, is aware of what's going on. So I will be truly a voice for the student body. And that is what ASCSU is, which is also the student, a voice for the student body. Well, you create an environment that facilitates growth and encourages people to stay involved in ASCSU. So I think one good way is by communicating with them, as I've said before, and like talking with the students I mean, with the senators and like asking what they want to, are interested in doing and then working with them through it. And also, if there is unfortunately conflict that arises, I will be asking for judicial's help, the advisor's help, and if needed, the student resolution center's help, just so we can just so we can work. If we can't get along, we need to work on finding ways to make it so we can get along and like learn new ways. Because I think if we can get along, many more people want to stay in ASCSU sense. Candidate DeSalvo? I would like to say, uh, first off, that once bridges are you know, broken, it's somewhat difficult to repair them. So you have to acknowledge that uh, bridges in the past were broken and it may be difficult to repair, but, you know, I'm, I'm no stranger to a challenge and I'm willing to put in the work to do it. I think a lot of this stems from as far as getting people involved in ASCSU is letting them know what impact they could have initially 
And then on top of that, when they're in the space of ASCSU, making sure that it, it's it's an environment where we all know each other and we could all uh, get along and 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 discuss things civilly. There there's a there's a problem currently with such the such a high turnover rate that um, senators won't know who other senators are, and I think that's really problematic when you're in a in a working environment. You should be able to know who you're working with and you know who you're legislating with. And so I, I think that's really the uh, one of the major solutions to the problem is just, again, building connections and relationships and getting to know each other on a personal basis. Thank you. And candidate Correa? First of all, I'm going to ask all the senators and associate senators to write a mission statement based on what their goals are, what they want to do. And that's how I get a good understanding of uh, how they would like to progress in the space give them those avenues, those opportunities to progress in the space. Uh, we had this provision where every senator and associate senator had to bring about at least one bill resolution or a legs in, in, the, in their job descriptions, which was taken away, reducing their accountability to, to students. I want to make sure that everyone in that space is more accountable to students. That would also ensure that they grow, they learn, and they actually put in that effort. Thank you. Thank you. You've all mentioned the toxic environment of the Senate space. What are some specific initiatives and timelines you wish to address this with? Candidate DeSalto? So uh, I've talked a lot about in the summer really hitting the ground running and, and building those relationships. There's there's also the retreat where we're able to build those relationships as well. But I, as far as timeline-based, I want to do it as soon as possible, perhaps uh, even after right after I'm elected you know, reaching out to the senators, letting them know who I am um, and, and getting their perspective on the issues, um, especially in regard to the, the toxic environment in the Senate. And, you know, additionally, um, uh, I think I have the unique position in doing that because I'm from outside of the Senate. I'm not in the mindset um, of the Senate. And I think, unfortunately, what you saw before the break was, you know, a, uh, a symptom of what happens when you're in that Senate environment. Thank you. You have a rebuttal? Yes, I do. So if you would like to have this this retreat before the summer, it would be pretty much impossible because the Senate chambers won't be full at that time. It's not going to be full. Who are you going to take on the retreat? Who are you going to bring about together? It takes time for once the president's elected to elect members of the cabinet position, which I'm assuming you don't know since you're not from this space. Certain things, even though I do agree you're, you're you're more than eligible to become a speaker. What I do do fear is you don't know how the space works, how things inside work. Uh, when it comes to fall retreats, you would be responsible in, in having a say in, hey, how things go during the fall retreat. And I'm also afraid that you, since you've never been in, in one of these events, uh, I'm afraid how would you how would you bring about closure if, you're, if you don't know how these things are conducted in the first place, if you don't know the timeline between when you can and cannot conduct this retreat. Thank you. Your response to Salvo? Uh, unfortunately, Mr. Correa, I, I believe you misheard me. Um, I didn't claim that the retreat would be uh, during the summer. Um, I'd said that I, I would want to get work done during the summer and, uh, in fact, right after after I'm elected. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're passionate about this issue and you disagree with me on the basics of whether or not I'm qualified to run. But uh, I personally believe that I'm entirely qualified to run. So thank you for your concern. Thank you. 
Coming back to the question and to ask it again, you have all mentioned the toxic environment of the Senate space. What are some specific initiatives and timelines you wish to address this with? Candidate Correa, your response? Yes, as I said earlier, I, I've decided to I, that I want to uh, make a committee that would investigate such issues and provide a report to the Senate within uh, two business weeks. This would ensure that there would be an unbiased overview of such incidents. Um, making sure that uh, um, ensuring that uh, whatever, however we deal with the situations, we bring about a fair uh, result and that no one feels left out. No one feels that their voices haven't been heard. I also want to make sure that with uh, with the progress I will make with this committee, that future senators and associate senators will have this space where they know that they can say uh, the right stuff and not have to worry about bias being uh, of uh, anybody being biased towards them. Thank you. Thank you. Candidate Welch, your response? All right. So I basically almost can't be word for word for what Mr. Savalva DeSalvo? Yeah. Yep. Default DeSalvo said excellent what they said about working on improving it with the talking to all the senators. I'll also plan on talking to the college councils and the SPS offices asking like about like how do they feel about ACC and like what can I do to make it so like we can actually connect with each other. And also we need to really like Lately, we've been broadcasting everything to ACSU, like the Blue Books. They have our name on them. President Dixon and Vice President Gabrysatic, they were on the Zimbotron at a football game and on the basketball game. So people do know we exist, but I think we need to show that we're not like some up and tight politicians, but we are students just like them. So they feel welcome to come into the the, student, the office and not ask directions or for masks, but ask for direct, ask about ACSU and like how to get involved or just what we're doing. Next question for all candidates is how will you uphold the university's commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion without shifting the responsibility onto SDPS offices? Now we'll start with you, Welch. So the way to do that is by, this is why I just want to talk to senators. Like that's why I think it's important to have your main focus when you do these meetings with SP offices is just to meet with the senators, just to see where they're coming from and like do some work with them. Because I fully agree that the work mostly still rely on Senate leadership and the speaker. So I will be going to events that will help with diversity, including equity. I'll go to that type of stuff. And like I will find ways to improve in ASCSU myself. Obviously, ask questions. And like if I'm stuck or if I'm having trouble, I will ask for help. But I do believe that should be on the floor as a speaker. And I will be doing that. And by different ways, will be I'll try to make it more welcoming space for those identities. Thank you. Candidate DeSalvo? I think you really have to go, um, you have to go to those spaces and, and you really have to listen. Um, I kind of shared this story during the vote of confidence, but I grew up on the east side of Pueblo with a very large Hispanic community. And, uh, I had a best friend named Feliciano who was a first generation American. And, uh, his, his parents were from Mexico and they had a lot on their plate, but I always had a space there in their home. And there were times where they'd invite me to uh, functions and cookouts and I'd be the only white boy there. Uh, but they, they never made me feel left out and they made me feel like one of their own. And if we could create a community like that at CSU, um, I, I think we're on, on track, but there's always work to do. And um, I, I want to be able to, to, to do that work. And I think just my previous experience doing that um, kind of gives me the edge um, in, in, in that regard. Candidate Correa. 
So as an uh, SDPS uh, senator myself, I can say that that is uh, it's a much welcome question. I think these responsibilities need to be shifted to other senators and associate senators and not just senators, but students in general. And uh, this being said, uh, with diversity, every single voice, not just specific targeted communities, but every single voice, regardless of your background, should be heard and, and no one should be suppressed over there. Thank you. Thank you. All right, thank you all. And with that, we conclude the 2022-2023 debate for the ASCSU Speaker of the Senate elections. Thank you to all the candidates for coming and debating and to the audience for coming and participating. Voting will be on RamWeb from uh, on from April 4th from 8 p.m. to April 6th at 4 p.m. Good night, Rams. What's up? I'm Spence, and you're listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. My name is Eliza Drotar. This is your RMR Sports Report. In women's softball, the team is now 11-19, and 19, losing all three of their games during the week to Utah State. Their next three games are at home against New Mexico State, starting on Friday. In track and field, the team took part in the West Coast Relays hosted by Fresno State. And congrats to our top finishers, Jalen Jasper, Ann Peter, Sarah Carter, and Yolanda Johnson and all the other athletes who competed this weekend. In women's golf, the team is taking part in the Mary B.S. Kuth Invitational, and in men's golf, they will be taking part in the Wyoming Cowboys Classic this week. In women's tennis, the girls won their last two matches against New Mexico and Air Force. Their next matches are against UNLV and San Diego State this weekend. If you are interested in student tickets, go to CSU Rams, .evenu.net to get your student tickets for all your sports here on campus. My name is Eliza Drotar. This has been your RMR Sports Report. This is Ellie Shannon with your tech news. Elon Musk has become the largest shareholder for Twitter. Musk has taken a 9% stake in Twitter after raising questions about the social media platform's dedication to free speech. The purchase was worth over $2 billion, but the aim of Musk's purchase is still unclear. Musk has also thought about starting his own social media platform after clashing repeatedly with financial regulators about his use of Twitter. The owner of Tesla also made this decision after first-quarter delivery numbers for Tesla were posted, with the figure slightly below expectation. The Russian government is threatening to fine Wikipedia if it doesn't remove content that contradicts its narrative about the war in Ukraine. According to Rachel Treisman of NPR News, Russian communications regulator Roz Komnadzor 
announced on Thursday that it had asked the online encyclopedia to remove a page containing unreliable, socially significant materials about operations in Ukraine. Russia could fine Wikipedia up to $47,000 if the content is not removed. Russia enacted legislation last month that criminalizes war reporting that does not match the Kremlin's versions of events. Many journalists and news outlets have now fled the country in fear of imprisonment. Google is bringing back most of their employees to assigned physical offices three days a week starting this week. A lot of workers voiced their concerns at a recent meeting. According to Jennifer Elias of CNBC News, Google made record profits through the pandemic. Employees have gotten used to the flexibility and family time offered by remote work, and many other tech companies thrived during the pandemic as well due to cloud-based collaboration tools. To compensate for the commute that some people may have to make now, Google's falling back on its perks to help employees. That's all for your tech news. This is Ellie Shannon for KCSU on 90.5 FM. Today was cool, cloudy, and a bit rainy with a high of 54 and a low of 30. And Wednesday, you can expect almost identical weather, including nearly 30 mile per hour winds and cloudy skies. Friday will warm up slightly to a high of 57 with a low of 28, and winds will slow down to about 25 miles per hour. And for Friday's weather, tune in this Thursday from 4 to 5 in the afternoon for the Rocky Mountain Review, only on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. I'm Cota Babcock for KCSU News, and information comes from the Weather Channel. And that's all for today. We just wanted to thank Damien Castile for our amazing theme music that's playing right now. We'd like to thank our guests today, as well as Portia Cook, Thomas Taylor, David Demuth, Stevie Jones, Hannah Copeland, Bryn McCall, Jack Balsley, Glendon Shell, Hannah Hitchcock, Elliot Hutchinson, Eric Zhang, Brennan Cole, Bridget Bandell, Eliza Droder, Dylan King, Michelle Ellis, Ben Haney, Ben Kruger, Anna Schwabi, Marie Tanksley, Peter Walk, and the rest of the staff here at KCSU and Rocky Mountain Student Media. We couldn't do this without you. And I'd like to thank you, Coda. And I'd like to thank you, Allie. And we finally couldn't do this without you, dear listener. Thank you.